0: You're listening to Ashcast, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation podcast. On Friday, February 16th, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation hosted an Ash Community Speaker Series event titled A Framework for Change: Community Organizing in Japan and Jordan. Kanoko Kamata, Mid-Career MPA 2012, former Ash Center Fellow, and current research associate for the program on US-Japan relations at Harvard's Weatherhead Center for International Relations and Executive Director of Community Organizing Japan, and Rowan Zane, Mid-Career MPA 2018, Ash Ford Foundation Mason Fellow and founder of Talila, an organization that creates spaces for self-expression, social cohesion, and community efficacy, spoke. Both Kamata and Zane used a common community organizing structure to create their respective organizations which they will discuss. This structure was developed by Marshall Gans, Harvard senior lecturer in public policy who moderated the talk. Let's listen in.
1: Uh, We'll get started. Uh, uh, My name is Marshall Gans, and I want to welcome you to this uh, session of the Ash Community Speaker Series, uh, uh, a framework for change, community organizing in Japan and in Jordan. Uh, Now, there's a script here I'm supposed to read, which I will. This is one in a series of conversations intended to capture and highlight ideas and lessons learned from the work of students that has been supported by the Ash Center. Um, Ash Center student support includes tuition scholarships, travel for PAEs, independent research, summer internships, student groups and events, research assistant positions, and more. Uh, The new name, Ash Community Speaker Series, will continue to highlight the work of students and alumni. Uh, We're also expanding the platform to highlight on occasion the fascinating research, teaching, and practice-oriented work of our visiting fellows, faculty, and staff. Okay, good. That's the opening prayer. So, (laughs) now, now this afternoon, or I guess it's just slightly afternoon, uh, we're happy to be joined in this conversation by uh, Kanoko Kamata and Rowan Zane. You can cheer. You know. <laughs> this is good. Did did everybody bring their sort of their cheering section? I guess <laughs> that's great. Okay. Um, Konoko who is a mid-career MPA, a former Ash Center fellow, and current research assistant in the U.S.-Japan program at the Weatherhead Center, um, as as well as, as serving as executive director of Community Organizing Japan. Uh, Konoko grew up in Yokohama, Japan, where her father works as an engineer, her mom raising her family. She attended college in biochemistry, or received a degree in biochemistry, worked for 11 years in the private sector, and came to the Kennedy School as a mid-career student in 2011. That's where we met, and following graduation, she served as a community organizer with Make the Road in New York, and then returned to Japan to found Community Organizing Japan. Uh, She also served as a teaching fellow in our distance learning class. Leading Community Organizing Japan, she has conducted workshops throughout Japan, co- coached uh, multiple campaigns, and last year led a successful campaign to change the sex crimes law in her country, which had not been altered uh, for 110 years. Uh, please welcome Konoko Kamata. <laughs> Rowan Zane, uh, also well, a current mid-career MPA. Uh, so uh, what's that, 18. I guess, yeah, is an Ashford Foundation Mason fellow and founder of Talila, an organization that creates spaces for self-expression, social cohesion, and community efficacy in Jordan. Uh, Rowan, who is originally from Jordan, grew up in many parts of the world, including Egypt, Cyprus, and Connecticut, um, as her father worked for PepsiCo, although always based in Amman. She graduated from Emerson College with a degree in communications. Uh, London School of Economics with a degree in political sociology, and founded Talila in 2009. We met in 2010 when she participated in our first workshop on community organizing in Amman, in Jordan. Became a student in our distance learning class, a teaching fellow for that class, a trainer in community organizing in the Arab world, and served as the coordinator for the distance learning class for the last five years and is now a mid-career student here. Please welcome Rowan. Now, since it's been my privilege to work with them both as students, colleagues, and collaborators, they asked me to say a few words about the approach we've taken to our work together. Um, Basically, the approach that we've taken, which is in which uh, grounded the class that I teach here and so forth, is an approach to leadership that's rooted in three questions posed by a first century Jerusalem scholar, Rabbi Hillel, who, when asked, how do I figure out what to do in the world, responded with the need to ask yourself three questions. First, If I am not for myself, who will be for me? Not selfish, but self-regarding. Understanding yourself is fundamental to engage in relationships with others. And the second question being, if I am for myself alone, what am I? Because to be a who and not a what is to recognize that we exist in relationship with others in the world. And finally, he says, ask yourself, if not now, when? Not advice to jump into moving traffic, but recognition of the fact that rarely can we learn to do well what we hope to do until we actually begin to do it. In other words, that understanding flows from action does not precede it. A caution against what Jane Adams called the snare of preparation, or also known as "just another degree, and then I'll have all the answers to be the expert the world expects me to be." No, I'm just kidding. Okay, about that. <laughs> now, 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 thinking of uh, of leadership. Uh, so, for me, leadership is about the interaction of self, other, and action, uh, and and. Uh, it's, um, it's also impro- uh, important that he poses these as questions, because if you think of what the domain of leadership actually is, um, it's rarely the case that people say, this organization is really working great. Let me go thank the leadership. It's more common that people say, where's the leadership when? When they say that. Yeah, when there's problems and so forth. And it's sobering to realize that the domain of leadership is not certainty, but uncertainty. Uh, and, and that's where the adaptive capacity for leadership is required. And, and that's a challenge to the hands in terms of skills. It's a challenge to the head in terms of strategy. And even more fundamentally, it's a challenge to the heart in terms of finding courage and hope and sol- solidarity and the capacity to work together. So the definition that we use for leadership is that it's about accepting responsibility for enabling others to achieve shared purpose under conditions of uncertainty. As such, it's not about marketing products to customers. It's not about providing services to clients. It's about engaging people in coming together to work together, which is what organizing is all about. Because organizing as a form of leadership is about how to, um, uh, how to develop the leadership to bring people together to translate their resources into sources of power. And the capacity to act and create change. Now, the way we approach this is uh, through the focus on five practices that we see is fundamental to this form of leadership uh, exercise. Well, I should say also that this decouples leadership from the notion from from formal authority. In other words, it's leadership more as a practice than as a position. Uh, we've had quite a bit of experience recently of people occupying formal positions of of leadership who turn out to be pretty awful leaders, uh, if I could comment on current affairs in the United States. Uh, (laughs) But but we also meet people in communities that are exercising leadership in the sense I'm using the term all the time. And so it's that kind of understanding. Uh, And the organizing component, it's then not about clients or customers. It's about enabling a community to become a constituency which comes from the Latin constare, which means to stand together. In other words, it's to bring people together, to decide together, to learn together, to act together, to, and hopefully to win what they want to together. Now, this is a challenging, well, so there is a particular pedagogy that's involved in learning this as a practice and not as a theory. Uh, it's a pedagogy that's rooted in experiential learning in explanation, in modeling, uh, in practice, and in debriefing as an ongoing way of learning. Um, it, it, is, it is to support what is a collaborative, empowering, and distributed form of leadership, as opposed to unitary, directive, and closely held forms of leadership. People talk about the model we teach as uh, the snowflake, uh, where uh, you develop a core collaborative leadership team. They, in turn, develop their own teams. They develop their own teams. And so leadership becomes distributed throughout the constituency as sinews to be able to move that constituency into action. This requires, in turn, creating a brave space for learning, not a safe space, a brave space in which learning can be experiential, feedback can be received, and it's, uh, a, the whole thing is an approach not to, judgment of, of perso- of, not to the judgment of one's value, but rather information on one's learning. Now, this can be particularly challenging uh, in contexts where the norm is a hierarchical authority structure in cultural life, religious life, work life, school, and home. It, develops, it requires the need for people to trust their colleagues and themselves as sources of authority, a system of, of collective shared assessment. And this requires accepting the responsibility that goes with leadership of honoring one's own commitments, calling on others to honor theirs, engaging in critical deliberation, sustaining motivation in response to failure and success, and managing the tensions involved in harnessing energy to common purpose. So what it really means is that changing one's leadership practice in this way begins by changing one's learning practice. And what's really exciting about the presentations we're going to hear today is that uh, in in each of these contexts, quite different, Jordan from Japan, rather different contexts, they have found ways to engage in developing this kind of collaborative, distributed, empowering leadership structure on behalf of change. So with that, let's get started. Um, Kadoko, will you begin? Did you cover five
2: leadership.
1: Did I say the five practices? I don't think you did.
2: Oh, no. <laughs> See,
1: it's good to have good students around. This is really helpful. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was rushing to try it. No, the, the, the five practices, because yeah, the five practices around which we organize this, and I should say by practice, we mean a, a concept, values, and skill, all three. It's not just skills, it's a way of actually doing things. And the fundamental is relationship building, uh, the intentional and purposeful development of uh, of commitments around shared, uh, shared values. Second is storytelling, the capacity to access the emotional resources embedded within our values for the courage, the hope, uh, the, com- the solidarity to act and to act together um, and to make choices in the face of challenges and uncertainty. Thirdly is strategizing, how to turn the resources you have into the power that you need to get what you want, Uh, resources grounded in one's constituency. Uh, Action, which is how to turn theory into practice, how to actually create uh, uh, votes or create uh, uh, people at a demonstration or, in other words, how to change the reality Mm -hmm. on the ground by mobilizing and deploying uh, resources. Uh, And uh, the, the fifth practice is structuring. And that's what I was referring to about creating structure that can support leadership development, which we do through this what people call the snowflake—a collaborative, distributed, and empowering approach to leadership. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <good>. Thank you. <laughs> thank you.
2: <laughs> I my time. Okay. Um, so thank you, Marshall, and uh, I'm very glad to have session with someone. And we, we've been teaching together in online, and yeah very privileged to have speech uh, here. Uh, so my name is Kanoko Kamata. I'm doing the uh, fellowship here under the U.S.-Japan Program and the Ash Center here, and doing the research on social movement in Japan. So I'm going to talk about uh, how I used, how we use this framework. And uh, before moving that, um, I want to talk about context of Japan. So we did have uprising by the people, especially peasants, uh, since Middle Ages. And the movement, but the movement is perceived as a failure because in 1960s and 70s, we had a lot of student movement, also uh, anti-treaty movement against the US, but it's perceived as a failure. And uh, in terms of state, state is very strong in Japan. And then they also limit to to legalize non-profit organization until 1998. Uh, Also, we had cultural values. It's very society. And then we also value the harmony and unity. So I want to show you one example. Uh, this is the new graduate to enter the new uh, company, this ceremony, and they all look the same. <laughs> this is our unity and harmony. <laughs>
0: okay. <That is>
2: <laughs> so before moving that, I want to tell my story why I'm doing it. So I was raised by my parents with younger brother. Uh, so when I was a child, I was not very smart and athletic, but I am good at planting trees. So every day, I went, I went to the nearby park, and then climbed the trees, uh, tourist trees, and I'm proud of myself. But however, when I was eight, uh, the park was gentrified, and many trees were cut, and including my favorite tree. I was desperate, uh, losing my friend, and then outraged why adults did not ask opinion of children who use the park every day. But I just thought it's just how the adults do the things, and all, I hoped I could change in the future. When I was twenty six I got a job in an environmental consulting firm. I involved in the public policy development. I was very frustrated by the public hearing and also comments is treated as alibi and then um, energy opinions heard, but no changes made. So at the same time, I saw the bill proposed by a civic organisation in Europe and some states in the US and passed by the Congress, so Ireland because civic organisations are supported by of citizens. But it's not happening in here. So I wanted um, run the civic organi- civic participation abroad. That, that's why I came to uh, Kennedy School in two thousand eleven. So I took organizing course, which is now uh, ongoing in this semester. So I was skeptical at the beginning um, because it sounds very American, and then <laughs> Marshall said, "Oh." We need to agitate people. We need outrage. Oh, my God. That's, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so very boring. So but, over the course of classes, I resonate with the idea leadership development leads social change. So I decided to bring this remark back to Japan. Um, so in 2013, uh, we, we invited Marshall to come to Tokyo and had a workshop together. And then we recruited the participants and the organizers of the workshop and then founders community organizing Japan next month. And then we've been doing the um, teaching of whole Japan, like north to south. And we taught like 1,500 people. And we don't really change the framework, but we translate all the material into Japanese. So what uh, we have now, there are five board members, four-time staff, three, four-time staff, and ten trainers, maybe more, and the 80 coaches, uh, maybe more. So um, I want to talk about how we use the framework in actual uh, social movement campaign. And, and this is the Believe campaign. It's about uh, change sex crime law project. And our cause is that uh, we have the cha- uh, sex crime law, which hasn't been changed since 1907. And the men cannot be victim. In the age of consent, it's, 13, it's very low. And um, there is more problem. Uh, the no means, yes, it's predominant culture. And nobody talk about sexual violence, although groping is daily stuff. But we had the opportunity that the government uh, planning the revision, but very slow move, because there's low interest. so interest. And also, the reform has a very many loopholes. So we want to push the reform. And then we want to address something, a loophole. Um, so, I had an organization called Chabujo. it's a gender-based, gender-issue organization doing community organizing campaign, but this, because this is a national campaign, we need to recruit another organization. So, I recruited uh, sexual violence experts, survivors group, on sex, uh, survivors group, and artist group, and we formed a coalition called Change Sex Crime Law Project. So what we achieved, uh, we could pass the reform, 110 years reform, <laughs> so it's a really big deal. But uh, as, you, as I said, there's still a loophole, but we could insert a new law to address the loophole uh, in three years. And then we could also change the culture. So consent has never talked in Japan, but now media try to cover what is consent. And social movement, it's more for older people in Japan. Like if we go to the street demonstrations, or we see people in 70 or 80 or whatever. <laughs> so, but uh, this movement of young people, like um, students, joined our campaign. So this is overall strategy. Uh, So we aim uh, for the society where where, where individual body and sexual rights are respected. We are organizing women and men who want to change the current situation, especially college uh, students in Tokyo area, to pass the reform of sex crime law by June 2017 by raising awareness on sexual assault and encourage more people to speak about it and bringing narratives of survivors in people who care to 55 politicians in Justice Committee. So, Justice Committee is in charge of criminal law reform. So we have a challenge to I- implement this framework. The first one, tell the stories. Uh, it's really ha- ha- hard to tell the story because in Japan, community over individual. So there is no space we can tell ourselves story. And um, also, there's strong stigma towards sexual violence. So survivors and activists don't want don't to tell the story publicly. And um, also, they are they afraid of um, triggering, uh, triggering trauma. Uh, so we need to overcome that. And also, the campaign members hesitate to recruit new people because they are afraid to being out of control, and that they don't understand the importance of the leadership development. And then being strategic is really hard because they wanna just meet the politician who want to support the cause, and also people do not take actions in Japan, so it's really hard to mobilize people around street demonstration and also petitions as well. Um, so how to overcome that? I'm gonna go through how to overcome that. And then telling the stories, I think actually we need to show the model. And I, I'm, I myself a sexual, sub, uh, survivor, uh, sexual assault survivors. So I thought that I have to show the model. So we did the online petitions, and in the online petition, I shared my story. And we, with that, you know, we can communicate, we can tell the other campaign members how powerful that you know real story connects to the people. And then also we use the story of us. It's the story of us. is to create a community and a shared purpose and a shared problem. So we could frame it as everybody' issue, not as you know some you know, limited people. And we also the members who are not survivors sharing the story and why they care based on their lived experience. In terms of recruiting, we come up with a t- idea that to do the a consent workshop, because sex education is not really done in Japan. And then in, in the end of the workshop, we always ask the people to join our campaign. And we had a, a workshop with the college students in the Congress building, and after the workshop, we um, and recruited uh, students to have a workshop in each campus. And actually, uh, there is five university and actually hosted the workshop towards as in three months, and then four, uh, I think 400 people educated during the three months. So when we started, we just have like four organizations. But towards the end of campaign, and we expanded. And then other three organizations were a little bit hesitant to recruit new people in the beginning, but they learned. Uh, as we show the model, we they encourage to recruit people more. Uh, so in terms of strategy, and I thought that it's very important to agree on the goal and an overall timeline. so I kind of, I pushed to decide on the goal and when we meet first time in September two thousand and sixteen. And I was a bit afraid that people pushed back, you know, this is too much kind of thing. But people actually appreciate framework, the how to think, how to analyze strategy, because people just spend time over and over you know, without any outcomes. <laughs> but this framework actually help us to uh, create a tangible, um, concrete uh, plan. And also, power analysis is not really common. We do in Japan. Uh, but we met Justice Committee members, they w- soon, we soon found that oh, they overall support the, to pass the reform, but uh, there's no in- interest to pass the reform. So we tried to figure out who is making agenda, because uh, you know, may- this is a very important part, who is controlled agenda. So we actually found that the right and top co- uh, side, the guy, uh, he's ha- he has the power to control agenda then uh, co- approach to him. So in terms of tactics, uh, because the not not we need to be make it accessible to the people who want to join us, who want to take action. So we use a lot of uh, cartoon because cartoon is kind of big in Japan, as you may know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is um, picture drawn by me. We created a cartoon survey and we showed this. Oh, those are those are not rape in Japan. I mean, it's not considered as a crime in Japan. So people are surprised. Oh, we need to change the law, that kind of thing. And we also did those cartoon, and then this is a last. Sorry. Piece. Oh. Stop. <laughs> this is my time. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. <laughs> okay. up here. Um, so, uh, towards the end of campaign, we need to increase the pressure, you know, the, the gov- uh, to the government. So maybe we wanna do that uh, street demonstration, but it's not possible because people don't come, and especially for sexual violence, they, they don't wanna see as a victim. Um, so. We, but we want to do something fun, so we come up with the dance action. Because in Japan, in summer, everybody dance in a festival, and you know, senior people to char- children. So <laughs> we want to do something similar. And uh, we ask people to come up with a pose uh, to wish the uh, to make make a, uh, to wish the society where the social uh, so sexual rights are protected. So people making a pose like equal or love is important, like that. So a hundred people. Um, you know, created a post and they post posts on Instagram or Twitter. So it's very interesting. So their friends um, ask them, what are you doing, you are doing this, (laughs) so people can talk about the cause, actually. So it's really good. And then we collaborated with the choreographer and then create the dance. And what we use the dance is with our petitions. So we submitted a petition to the Minister of Justice and he actually joined the dance yeah. together, <laughs> <laughs> so it was really neat, and we created solidarity among the politicians too. <laughs> so lessons learned, the uh, so community organizing framework works in Japan, uh, but we need to c- find a connection with the local history and the local experience. And then in conformity society, like in Japan, large-scale organizing is very hard. But um, effective tactics can be very um, effective and signal to decision makers. But it's how to um, motivate more people to join movement is yet a big question. I'm now. That's why I'm here to research social movement in Japan. And then I'm my, the biggest takeaway is do not hesitate use framework and show the model and reflect proactively and be creative. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
3: Is this on? Uh, Thank you, Kanoko. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Kanoko kind of showed what we usually call like a power over campaign. So when you're trying to build enough community pressure to change a certain um, decision maker's perspective. But my story is more about how you create uh, power within your own community in terms of uh, how they see themselves so that maybe one day it could build up into building power to put pressure on someone else. So I'm a storyteller. So I'm just going to tell you a story about Talila. And it honestly starts with me. So mainly, I'm the second out of four um, children. And my older sister was the first granddaughter. Uh, So she was the star of the family. I remember at my grandmother's house, uh, she was seven years old, and she'd stand in front of my uncles and aunts and start reading Arabic poetry. And everyone, like, being really proud of her and clapping. um, But at the same time, they'd look at me, and I'd had this feeling where they were asking themselves, what's wrong with Rowan? She's three years old, and she still can't put two sentences together. So by the time I was nine, if someone asked me to get something from the car, I'd be way too nervous. I'd think that if I didn't find it, I'd only prove my incompetence. So generally, I avoided all forms of responsibility. Until in 10th grade, my gym teacher, Mr. Creens, asked me to stay behind in class one day. Nervously, I, I stayed behind, and he asked me if I wanted to be the track and field manager, which was very strange, because all my embarrassing moments were in gym class. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, I thought that was a pretty big challenge for me as someone who likes to avoid responsibility, so I thought, let me think about it. And I spoke with my parents and my friends, and they're like, Ron it sounds pretty basic. You can do this. Why don't you give it a try? And he seems like he wants to help you do this. So Every morning, I'd wake up at 7 o'clock. I'd put out the cones on the... Gr- on the green field. I take attendance, uh, take people's speed. And there I discovered that I can step up for responsibility. And I started to find my voice on campus. I started doing backstage theater. I went back into band. I I was doing short films. And I ended up studying marketing communications at Emerson. Um, Because I felt like I found my voice. But in Emerson, I took a class called social liberal movements. And that's when I realized that I think my calling wasn't so much on the corporate side, but more on the community side. Uh, so I decided to go back to Jordan. And as Marshall mentioned, I didn't grow up in Jordan. Uh, so it was a very uh, difficult place for me to go. It was kind of a home I could never call home. Um, so I decided to go back and challenge myself to, to, make it my, to make a community there, just like I was able to in Egypt and Cyprus and Connecticut. Uh, and when I got there, I discovered that... Um, in Jordan, there's a lot of self-deprecation. So a lot of people say, oh, we're such a backward society. Nothing good can come out of us. There's brain drain. There's just a lot of negative talk, of which I started to fall into this narrative. Until one day, I met a guy. Uh, and this was in 2009. I met um, a guy named Hamad Maita. And Hamad was this uh, guy with a long hair and long beard and this leftist 24-year-old who liked to write poetry and who liked to do theater and he was from a city called Zer'a. And um, I don't know if you guys have heard of Zer'awi. Like the, anyway, so he's from this town, <laughs> this city. <laughs> so Zer'a is pretty much known to be like, very radical. It's the second largest city in Jordan. It's very poor. And people would always come back with scary stories from Zer'a. And here's this really cool guy who like, broke all my stereotypes about Zer'a. So I told him, listen, why don't you bring four of your friends, and I'll bring four of my friends, and each person can just share whatever they want, uh, something they love. And this way, we're kind of bringing these two worlds together, and uh, let's see what happens. Let's just listen and learn from one another. And, and to me, it was also a way for me to discover Jordan's true diversity as well. So we, held, so he brought his friends. I brought my friends. There were twelve audience members that day, and afterwards, people came up to me and they said, Ruan, when are you going to do this again? I want to share." So I said, "Okay, give me your numbers." So I took down everybody's numbers. One month later, I called them up, and. Uh, they all participated, we got eight people, and the audience doubled. And after that, people came up to me again and they said, Rowan, when are you going to do this again? So I said, okay, like, let's take some numbers. Um, and um, yeah, and then the next time I did that for the third time. And by the third time, this other person from ZR, his name is Muhammad Bej, came up to me and he said, listen, like, I'm, I'm a graphic designer, I'd like to design a logo for your initiative. What's the initiative's name? And I thought to myself, okay, it seems like this is not just my issue. You know, it wasn't just about me being frustrated about the different stereotypes that exist and the lack of voices, that, you know, this, this self-deprecation issue. People actually wanted to stand up, and they wanted to be heard, and they wanted to have a voice. They just needed a space. So we called the project Talila, and I'm going to just show you a short three-minute video to give you an idea of what we do. Um, I wanted to just take notes on like, the diversity of people, and i have most
4: of it translated but on the corner you'll see um, where people are from but it's in arabic but mainly um, yeah you'll see اقترب كي اراك وتكلم كي اعرفك. هي من احدى عاداتنا الجميل عندما يجتمعون الناس مع بعضهم ويتحاورون عن مواضيعهم الاجتماعية الخاصة. ويفرغون تعب العمل اليومي عبر الاجتماع والاستماع للحكايات والقراءات والشعر والأهازيج الفلكلورية الجميلة
0: (تصفيق)
4: تستضيف تعليل جميع الفئات العمرية في المجتمع الواحد أهم من ذلك أنهم يشركون الشباب والأطفال في هذه الجلسات للتعلم واكتساب الخبرات من الأكبر منهم سنا وخبرة ومن مميزات تعليله في القدم أنها كانت تعالج المشاكل العالقة بين الناس ويتم الحوار بكل أريحية وطرح مشكلاتهم وأرائهم ومن ثم تحل المشاكل فيما بينهم عبر شيخ أو مختار وبعدها يتم الطلب من المغني الذي تعودوا على الاستماع إليه بأن يدق ويغني لهم <تصفيق> ونظرا لحالة التفكك المجتمعي الذي بدنا نلاحظه في واقعنا الاجتماعي اطلقنا مشروع تعليل كأحدى اشكال الحلول المتواضعة لترابط الناس اجتماعيا وثقافيا وفكريا ومحاولة فتح قنوات الحوار وتبادل الهموم والمشكلات التي فرضتها علينا ظروفنا الحياتية الجديدة احنا بنشتغل علاج نفسي ودعم نفسي مجانا لكل انسان اردني سوري ومن أجل زرع بذور المحبة فيما بيننا يكون لقاؤنا متنوعا من طرح مبادرات ذاتية انتاجية والاستماع لمواهب جديدة مثل العزف والغناء والقراءة والشعر وما شابه ذلك منطلقين بفكرة توحيد الجهود الاجتماعية من أجل بناء مجتمع أفضل وأجمل الخط العربي له قواعد خاصة كثيرة في اسم كتاب قواعد الخط العربي <تصفيق> اسم جاء التعليل كي تساهم في فتح مجال ومساحات آمنة كي نستمع لبعضنا البعض ونساهم في اكتشاف ذاتنا عبر المبادرات والأفكار التي تعرض في سهرة تعليله والتي تؤدي إلى فهم ذاتنا واكتشاف مواهبنا وأفكارنا من أجل الوصول إلى بناء المجتمع المنتج الواثق من ذاته نحو واقع أجمل وأفضل لو للبك ما ينشرح خاطر ولا ينضح وين خللت الكدار يطفي سعيرا لتين اللي خلت ومن أهم مميزات تعليلة أننا نستمع إلى بعضنا البعض دون الاستهزاء والامتعاض لأي موضوع يطرح داخل السهرة بل نقدر كل المواهب والمبادرات والأفكار بكل حب واحترام رأى من خلفها سدٌ مشيد البنيان والماء الصحراء um yeah, that's,
3: uh. <laughs> yeah so as you could see it's uh, very diverse in people uh, in topics and ideas and so Um, I came to realize that people wanted to have their voices heard. Um, A lot of people, they want to come and share their own personal experiences. So, for example, there is this uh, woman who talked about how she got married when she was 17, and uh, she didn't have a chance to go to university. And after she waited for all her three kids to grow up and finish university, she decided to go back uh, to school. And the social stigma that came with that, and people telling her, oh, you know, you can't do that, like, you're too old, you're going to be silly, like, sitting with a bunch of 18-year-olds. But she did it and she graduated and she ended up doing her master's and now is wor- in the work field. So people like to share their own personal experiences and the wisdom that life gives them. So it's really an informal learning space. Um, people also like to talk about, um, you know, as you saw, like just their hobbies, um, whether it's origami or whether we've had people talk about kendo and iaido. <laughs> uh, we've done, boc- like female boxers come, so that was like uh, also like a weird, like a breaking social stereotypes. And then people also like to raise awareness on, on different issues they're passionate about. So someone, for example, had a campaign about organ donation, which is quite taboo in the Arab world, and to talk about his own experience about losing his daughter and making the difficult choice of whether or not to give her don- her organs. Um, so what, what Talia was able to do, I discovered, I, I, I don't know if any of you have been to Jordan, but mainly it's a lot, it's a lot of hills and a lot of white houses and a lot of lights. Um, So I feel like we were able to get these hidden voices that are in the houses out into the public space. And then I also saw that people really care to attend. Um, They came to meet new people. It's a place to build community. So we found that, you know, I like to say that Ta'lila has generations of community members. Um, They also come to learn new things. It's an informal learning space, and it's open for anyone to share. So as you could see, we've had, you know, I mean, in fact, tag- I might be in the video, it's not clear, but there's a, we've had children eight years old participate, we've had men who are nine years old participate, we've had women, people with disabilities, foreigners, domestic workers, so we try to really bring in the hidden voices um, of the of the city, um, and, you know, so we can learn from one another, and it's also a place to celebrate diversity. Um, but what I discovered is that it didn't just stop there. So when I started Talila, it wasn't just, you know, the first three times, sure, it was all directed at me, but... Suddenly, people were approaching me and saying, Rwan, I want to join your team. I want to volunteer with you. I want to create this space with you. So we started, um, so we started. Build, so we had a team in Jordan. And then one day, a friend of mine, Rabia, he's got an organization in Ghor al Mazra, which is a black farming community in Jordan. He's like, why don't we do this there? So I said, okay. So we started to build a team in, in that location. Then one of my team members from Amman, his name is Bilal, he was originally from Salt this other city, but he grew up in Amman, and he said, I want to take this back to my city. So he went there, and he started to build a team. Um, And then we did a project with Oxfam where we did a social cohesion project between Syrians and Jordanians um, to to create this space, and so they wanted to continue doing it there. And there's also Abu Yazan from Zara, a scary town. Now he says he wants to do it there. So right now we have five teams in five different locations. Um, in Amman, Salt, rural al-Mazra'a, which is the Palestinian refugee camp in Zara'a. We currently have 45 uh, volunteer members. Uh, they come from all ages. Uh, we've, some of them are high school students. Some of them are 54. Um, some of them are electricians, uh, shoe salespersons, high school dropouts. We also got architects um, and people who work in, in uh, regular jobs. And each month, um, the teams get together. And, you know, to, to Marshall's point earlier about the importance of team building. So, um, they, time? Just about. Just about, okay, uh, <laughs> So mainly, uh, these teams get together and they practice team building. So how do they hold each other accountable? How do they put together an agenda? And, you know, we might think this is really simple stuff, but it's actually really hard. Even at Harvard, you'll, <laughs> you'll know how difficult that is if you try to <laughs> do it. Even. Hard. <laughs>
0: Especially.
3: Uh yeah especially and then and, <laughs> <laughs> and then also they get to move into action right so they have to learn how to recruit people how to ask for one-on-ones how to hold an event do the logistics and then after each uh event they come together and they have to say like what did we learn what did we do well what can we improve and how can we improve it so there's also a lot of creativity that takes place and we also train train the team members in public narrative in uh, relationship building and uh, action and team structures. So we also have a manual uh, for Talila that talks about how we work as, a ent- as an entity, but also how we work in terms of our values and uh, various skill sets they need. Um, so just to quickly end and say that, um, yeah. So we've done over 40 spaces in eight years. Uh, this year, in this April will be our ninth year anniversary. Uh, we, each year, we annually have 320 participants to 300 audience members, and our budget is actually less than $2,000 a year. So this is all volunteer, everyone um, puts in their time in this because they truly believe in it. And, um, yeah, I have a couple nice stories for you to share about, like, our success stories, but we can talk about that later.
1: Okay. Thanks. Thanks. thanks for all. But what a, what a fascinating range of experience and, and um, uh, I was going to say innovations. Uh, that word is overused too much. Uh, I want to say of creativity, uh, and imagination uh, in such very different cultural settings here, Jordan, Japan. I, so, let me just open it up and uh, and let's let's have conversation, discussion, questions. There. Okay. He was first, then here, and then there. Okay. Very and impressive. can you say who you are? And uh, my name is uh, Mikhail. I'm a visiting scholar at the Davis Center. Uh, I think I have a very pressing question. Everyone wants to l- uh, to know about Japan. Did your dance actually result in the chi- in the minister <laughs> pushing for the change of legislation? Did you achieve the result?
2: Yes. Uh, I mean, did, did we actually dance? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Did the new
1: legislation come on sexual uh, I violence?
2: I, I think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's not just dance, but you know, kind of creates the solidarity. I think. Yeah. No,
3: Karoki asking if you achieved your goal of the campaign.
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: But but it entailed more. Than, I mean, it would have had to be a very powerful magical dance.
2: <laughs> oh, I think. But I the see. dance
1: was an element in a broader strategy <laughs> campaign. I think. Yeah, otherwise we'd have a whole new power-changing tactic. It
2: oh,
3: I'm,
4: I'm a professor of political science in France, and here uh, I'm an adjunct. Um, I had a question for you, but I, I don't know how to pronounce your name. Rowan. Rohan. Yeah. Okay. It struck me in your um, uh, story that you went back to Jordan, which was not really home, but you had with you this form that is completely – there in you and in the country D- did you know already that this form was uh, a traditional form or did you just um, you, you seem to say it was not home but actually you fit it quite well in this place and your initiative seems to have spread out because you, you had the culture yeah. well I don't know how do you explain that you yeah. see what I mean yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's I like a <laughs> you knew it without knowing it
3: Yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting. I think it's this whole outsider-insider experience. So for me, I actually, when I first started doing Ta'lila, I met with a cultural activist, and she said to me, I don't understand how you want to do this. You don't know anything about Arabic culture. I could barely speak Arabic at the time. I can't read and write Arabic very well to this day. (laughs) So there's kind of like this mocking of, you know, how are you going to do a cultural initiative if you don't even know anything about our culture? And I think for me, Talila was a space for me to actually get to know the culture. I got introduced to so much in terms of, you know, our political thoughts. I got to learn a lot about our musicians and music and poetry. So it was actually a learning space for me, um, which is why I think I was excited to keep doing it over and over. And to this day, I'm still learning. Um, But I also had friends who are very much rooted, like my friend he's he's from Jordan. And when we came up with the name, because everyone at first was like, oh, this is like TEDx, or oh, this is like an open mic, you know? But I didn't want it to be... It's not a TEDx, and it's not an open mic. Um, It's not a TEDx, because... It's actually the opposite of a TEDx, because TEDx, you want to bring the elite to come Mm -hmm. speak about their areas of expertise. And this is the exact opposite. Like, I'm encouraging people who never finished high school to come and share their experience, right? So it's the opposite of that. And it's not like an open mic, because it's more about community building. It's not just about people speaking. Um, So in that sense... I felt and so Rabir was the one who told me there's this tradition called Talila. I didn't even know about it. So in the, the beginning about the Bedouins, I did it was a, it's a learning process for me mm-hmm. to get to know my country. Very cool. Yeah. That's really Thank, cool. Thanks for that mm-hmm. Yes.
2: I think that uh, so now we are uh, organizing the university students to really institutionalize sex education because sex education is really bad mm-hmm. in I'm Japan. I'm not talking about so. sex education. I'm talking
1: yeah. about respecting each other.
2: Yeah,
4: that's true.
2: Yeah, we need to do that. Thanks.
0: Yes. Uh, thank you for your. I'm experience.
1: sorry. Let me just see. Who else has uh, questions or comments? One. Oh, OK. Go ahead.
0: Uh, thank you for the stories, and, and I think a very successful uh, community organization in your own country. So my question to both of you and is, you, you <coughs> uh, sorry, my to name to is Kinga uh, Sharing. I'm a fellow here at the center, and a student of uh, Professor Gant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question is, uh, I mean, the, the way how the community organization has been used, especially during the Obama campaign, I think that's become a, a, a lore and a legend now. Um, would this also morph into something of that kind of a movement, e- either in Japan and, or in Jordan? Or is this absolutely something that is apolitical and you do not mix it with political movements?
3: I don't understand the So, mainly, I think with my organization in specific, right now it, ha- it has to be apolitical. We're under the Ministry of Culture, and in Jordan, um, yeah, we're not allowed to get political for <laughs> ministry which is ironic because I think culture you know, culture is clear can be a political tool and I think mean there's politics and culture. Anyway, but that's that's a rant for another time. Um, but I think right now we're just I think in terms of Talil and where we're at, I think we need to continue building faith in our own societies so that when we are ready to move to action that there's a foundation there. So one of the um, so one of the participant one of the audience yeah, okay. members once came up to us and he said to us, you know, I was so sick of Jordan. I, am, I was frustrated by the people. I'm frustrated by the driving. You know, it's just everything here is just wrong. And then I came to Talila, and you know what? For, you gave me a smidge of hope. Like, I saw, like, the capacity that we truly have. And to me, I think before we can start moving into any form of political action, the people really need to learn and to practice being present together as a community, listening to each other, respecting each other so that when we are ready to move into the political sphere, we have a good foundation.
1: I should just say parallel to Rowan's work and work that Rowan has actually been part of for the last five years, seven years, has been the development of a broad range of community organizing and advocacy campaigns. I was in Jordan about a month ago and it was an extraordinary uh, public meeting of 400 people who in disability, in teachers' wages, in daycare, we're also learning to work together in this way. It was very inspirational to me. And I think it's really, Rwanda by going to the, I think, I think these kinds of changes have to be deeply rooted within the culture, not, not opposed to it, it, but grow out of it. It's, there's an Arabic saying, you have to use a beard to cut a beard. In other words, you, it, it, culture's not monolithic. And so I think one of the things that's really exciting here is the discovery of these resources Turning them into sources of capacity that ultimately is political in in the deepest sense, I think, of that.
2: Um, Just I want to add about political things. It's very hard to connect community organizing to political election because people don't want to, even though they volunteered for community organizing effort, oh, I'm not working for this candidate like that. So we actually had the Election in Kurume in Kyushu, and we wanted actually use that committee as an effort to the election, but we couldn't really do it because people don't want to, yeah, be, be involved in politics. So uh, we have to think about that too. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yes. Hi, my name is John. I'm a research assistant here at the Asher. My question is for Rowan. Um When I was looking at the video for. Uh, your video on the Talalas, I noticed that even though you mentioned that it's a b- big community space, it seemed like most of the participants were men. Um, is there, has there been an effort recently in Jordan, or, fr- or from what you've seen, to make them more sort of gender balanced, to get a bro- broader community s- space, like men, women, young and old? Mm, yeah, so
3: gender is, a, is an interesting issue in Jordan. So t- I guess two things. One is it depends which city I- and which part of the, where you're working. So for example, in the farming, the black farming community, actually we have a he- majority are women who participate. But the, the problem is that a lot of the women don't want to be videotaped. Um, so that's, you know, just in terms of documentation that might not show. So most of the time we ask participants, like, do you want to be photographed or videotaped? They, a lot of the time the women say no, just because they don't want any problems from their distant uncles or cousins or whatever. Um, you know, the one that was reading the poem, the Bedouin poem, for example, like when she came to our meeting to prepare, she had her younger brother come as the chaperone for her, you know, so at the same, but it's really impressive that she still was able to stand up and speak in front of the audience there. Sure. Um, so, but like songs, for example, um, mainly it's young women that come and, you know, young college girls that come and participate, but, I mean, I can say it is a challenge to get the women to, to be the majority. They're usually like two, three women out of eight people. Yeah. Okay. Want to
1: comment on that? On gender? Gender? Yeah, gender in leadership, in, in public presence.
2: Um, yeah, it's very difficult to do in this kind of work in Japan because when we have a meeting, usually men speak up and then women just be silent. Um, like, so that, that's why we had uh, an organization about gen- gender issue organization called Zhou, and then we try to – we have the norm, and then this is the organization to create the uh, leadership in women. And we, we uh, welcome men because we also collaborate with men to really um, solve the gender issue, but uh, we kind of focus on how to cultivate the leadership in women.
1: All right. had got a whole bunch of questions here now. Uh, here, there, and there. Maybe we c- we're getting short on time, so maybe we could hear all three questions and we'll respond to them as a whole.
0: Hi, I'm, my name is Claris. I'm a Master's in Public Policy student at the Kennedy School. I, I have My question is for Kanoko. Kanoko. Um, I'm curious about the tactics that you laid out, uh, how you decided, if you could talk a little bit about how you decided to go forward with those tactics and if there were other tactics that you talked about that you decided not to go with and why.
1: And next. Oh, I'm sorry. Re- did you have a question? Yes. Oh.
4: Hi, I'm Baharia, mid-career 2018 MPA. Question for Awan. Um, your Talila platform sounds very liberating. It's like if you speak on the stage, you feel like, oh, I've told my story, you know? So in terms of the next step, what, what kind of action item do you take post that? What kind of, do these people need help post presentation post telling the poem, you can share that. Okay. Hi. uh, My name is Yu. I'm from Japan. I'm taking Masha arts organizing class. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, well, uh, my question for Kanoko is about how you get the power. I mean, if I think about changing law, it sounds very, very difficult. And I think I was wondering why it sounds difficult, and I think it's very difficult to get information because like politics sounds
3: very far from like usual daily lives. So how do you get that kind of insider information or you know, insights? know,
1: And was that – those were the three? Oh, and one more. Um, this is a taxing exercise here, <laughs> but yeah, one more.
4: Yeah. Uh, hi. My name is Dana. I'm also a mid-career MBA, and my question and my comment to Rowan and I do know how hard it is to get a community together in Jordan. So I would like you to elaborate a little bit on how that affected your life on the political level because getting people together is not the easiest thing
1: in – back in our country. Okay. Let's – Kanoka, you want to start?
2: Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, uh, Thank you for the question. Um, In terms of tactics, I don't know. We talked a lot of of tactics, (laughs) so we did have many tactics, and we brainstormed a lot. And then tactics, we usually discuss in a group and because only one person cannot really have the creative tactics. So we usually have the, I don't know, at least five or six people you know, and sitting together and then brainstorm really. Then, yeah, it's more like creative way. Oh, why don't you do dance? And oh, okay, maybe it's good. <laughs> it's fun to do it like that. So as drawing, the cartoon, uh, I think it's, yeah, we are really hard to, hard time to corrupt, uh, communicate the legal uh, text, because if you read legal text, it's very boring. You know? <laughs> Nobody wants to see it. But it's very clear that it's very unjust. So we try to um, explain for ourselves and you draw know, the picture. And then oh, somebody said, oh, that's really nice to you know, communicate that way. Oh, maybe that's good too. Yeah, why don't we make the cartoon based on those kind of drawing? And, and actually, the, the drawing I made in whiteboard looks good to the campaign members. So that's why I was the adorer. <laughs> the so yeah, that kind of thing. It's a more team effort and uh, how to be yeah, really calculated. And then about the youth uh, point point, um, yeah, it's really hard to get inside of information in Japan because public policy making process is really trans- not p- transparent in Japan, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, ex- actually, we are kind of late because uh the discussion was already over, and then uh, there is no space we can really influence, but we try to use a resource as much as possible, and we uh, use the Kennedy School alumni you know there are some politicians there <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah try to be yeah try to <laughs> use a <our> resource <laughs> as much as possible <laughs> okay, yeah, that's really important to have uh insider information and then one thing I found it in a social movement in Japan is. You have to be really insider to be involved in the policy making because you have to be um, because when you go to the Congress, it's already discussion was done. The everything, every, every discussion about policy making is done before the Congress. So we have to be really insider then. Then, so we, usually those movement builders ended up being just insider. They don't really, they can't really do the outsider work. And then just ending up, ending up to a c- talking and That's what happened a lot in Japan. So, yeah, that's – we need to overcome that. And then maybe we need to talk about how we can be transparent to <laughs> people.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like think. a good project. Yeah. <laughs> 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 good. Yes. Okay. Rowan? Yeah, so, um, in terms of the next steps question, you know, I think this is, this is a question we get a lot, right? And, that, and I'm glad that people ask it because it really helps us, like, reframe what we're really trying to do. So mainly Talila isn't so much about the, the speakers. So for example, it's not, we don't sit and we train them on what to say and how to say it. Mainly like, oh, you want to share about, like, you know, um, Malaysia? Like, come, tell us about, like, whatever you want about Malaysia. So it, it's, more of a, it's more of a white canvas that people can fill, right? So what is the change that we're really trying to do? It actually goes back, I fall back on the community organizing framework. So mainly what we want is people to come and become leaders with us in our organization. So uh, the way we support people is we tell them, oh, you know, you're interested in creating spaces, come join our teams. And there's no, pre- like, there isn't a certain prerequisite. Um, or, like, you know, they don't need to su- submit a CV. It's more on the relationship-building aspect. So in terms of, like, how we're building power and creating change, the way I see it more is in terms of the leadership that we'll bu- we'll bu- we're building on the ground. Um, so I hope that answers the question. And in terms of Donna's question about the political level, um, yeah, I think one thing, like, just being part of Talila, I kind of got to lose my sense of privacy in Jordan, no, okay, okay. <laughs> and, uh um, yeah, no, and so that's always, like, tricky to, to deal with, especially in the conservative society where I'm not that conservative, mm-hmm. um, so there's that aspect. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also sometimes the Secret Service comes, like, when, once we did, um, a Talila with, um, the... The Syrian refugees, the Secret Service came and they wanted to have all the names of the participants Mm -hmm. who are going to share. Now, if I do that, no one's ever going to want to participate. They're completely burning the entire thing, right? So we have to play it politically well with them, mainly me as a woman. I take advantage of the fact that I'm a woman and I just play dumb. And I tell (laughs) them, oh, this person's like this person's mom and this person's mom. He's like, what are their names? I'll tell you later. And then they let go. So sometimes we (laughs) can leverage the gender issue there. But then also, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then um, and then the third part is that, um yeah, sometimes we end up having political tension, so we had funding from the King Abdullah Development Fund once, and um, they tried to censor us in a way, so that was a fun um are given, you know, attention there. So I'm pretty sure, like, the Secret Service has my name in one of their folders. <laughs> uh, but I think at the same time, I know that with the King of the Development Fund, they called a lot of the people that participate with us to kind of get dirt on me. But because we have such good relationships with our community, they actually ended up protecting us in a lot of ways. So I think... That's very um, cool. That's great. Um,
1: yeah, so that,
3: that's how that goes.
1: I think we're, unfortunately, out of time uh... but i think this is a reminder of what an extraordinary privilege it is for all of us to learn in this kind of international community with such diverse not just where we come from but where we go to uh... and i know for me that's one of the really most generative uh, factors uh, generative experiences of teaching here so thank you very much uh... <laughs>
0: You've been listening to AshCast, the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovations podcast. If you'd like to learn more, please visit ash.harvard.edu or follow the Ash Center on social media at Harvard Ash.